0: And hello and welcome to this week's edition of Novak Now here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm Jake Novak, and you can follow me and get all of the longer form references and articles and other things that I have written and other people have written and things that I will be referring to on this edition and other editions of Novak Now on my Twitter feed. The Twitter feed is the place to go at Jake Jake N Y at the at symbol and then Jake Jake N Y two Jakes at Jake Jake N Y and you'll see not only the stuff that I'm referring to now, but news of the day as it comes across. Um, I have a lot of other platforms. If you're, if you're someone who just really doesn't love Twitter, you can see most of my stuff on Facebook and some of my stuff on Parler. Uh, on Facebook, I'm just Jake Novak, Novak, at Par I'm Parler, I'm at Novak Jake. But Twitter is really, is really where everything is, and it can just be the launching point. If you don't want to stay on it for long, you can move on from there and, and just click on the links that I put there. But again, that's the best place to find the things I'm talking about. Um, I want to talk today about the entire concept of the phrase we use. Uh, no, uh, the, the phrase called you know that we use called "new blood." The "new blood" fr- phrase that we say: we need new blood in this organization, we need new blood on this team, we need new faces or new blood, uh, you know, in this in this company. That kind of thing. We see this and hear this a lot, and. I am, for the, for the most part, for the most part, the a really big believer in that, that especially when you have organizations that have been around for some time, and by organization, I mean almost anything, a private business, it could be a shul, it could be a yeshiva, certainly a, a political party or a government. Um, I think that for the most part, when you get new faces in, it has tremendous potential for positive results. I think that, believe it or not, even though you would almost often say about any new thing that there's an equal chance that it could be good or bad, when you add the caveat that it's a new thing that's coming into an established organization, I like the chances of being better than 50-50, that it will have a positive impact. Because older organizations and governments with a lot of people who have been in power for a long time, or businesses that have had the same family running it, as well as some of these people do their jobs, as innovative and amazing as they can be, the chances, I believe, are better than 50-50 that if they bring in someone with even a decent amount of capability and a new group of people or even just one new major person, the chances for a positive outcome aren't 100%. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's always a good thing. It's not always a good thing. But I think that the chances are probably 60% or better, which is pretty good when you think about betting odds or when you think about odds of businesses succeeding or organizations succeeding. I think the chances are really, really good. But to really understand why this is so important and really understand why this is true about getting new blood into an organization and why that's really, really important, you need to understand... How so many important organizations, especially from the Jewish historical perspective, how many, so so many organizations have rotted from within for so long, some of them weren't saved in time by new faces or the new faces never came, and some of them were. And I think that in Jewish history and from the, and and when I say Jewish history, I mean even very recent Jewish history of the last hundred years or so, we have really seen that to be true. And, of course, we're seeing that now in the United States. Now, I'm talking about new blood because we have a funny thing going on right now here in the United States of America and in Israel at the same time from the political standpoint. This is why it's my headline topic for for this edition of Novak Now. Obviously, we're about to go through a, a change in the United States in the White House. But it's certainly not new blood. Actually, the new blood was what happened four years ago when, love him or hate him, Donald Trump and his team came into the White House. And that certainly was new blood. Now, not that Donald Trump was a young man. He was already 70 when he took the oath of office. But he was not a career politician. (laughs) He was certainly different from everything that Washington had been used to. And I worked very hard, especially when I was still writing, still full-time writing at CNBC. I worked very hard to try to let everyone understand that this was, got, this was not a normal Republican. Just because he was a Republican coming in didn't mean that he wasn't a threat to the Republican establishment as much as he was a threat to the Democratic establish- establishment. And a tremendous amount of the pushback on Donald Trump is absolutely because of that. Because the old guard of both the parties of Washington, which really kind of, and they kind of work in concert with each other, whether they complain or argue about, you know, compl- and, and and fight with each other in public a lot. And I'm not saying that they privately collude. It's just there's a, there's a gentleman's and gentlewoman's agreement among the establishment party leaders in Washington and that bureaucracy to keep things pretty much the same. And if they change anything, it's just to make themselves more powerful and more wealthy. And Donald Trump was challenging all of that. And he really had an immediate set of very powerful enemies the second he even ran for office seriously, let alone win and and come into the White House. And I think that more and more is going to come out over the years about how that establishment in Washington worked against the president and worked against the interests of the the American people to try to push him out and and to stop some of the policies, policies that even they realized were good, they just hadn't thought of them themselves or had the guts to implement. But... We're getting a a, a quote-unquote new president in Joe Biden, but he's an example of the old blood. This is someone with about 50 years of experience in Washington. He's bringing in an entire administration of people who are old retreads. This is especially true when it comes to his, his Middle East policy team, which is probably going to include people like Dennis Ross and Martin Indyk and all these people who have been around that D.C. establishment uh, foreign policy establishment for a lot long time. I think they've been mostly not successful in their jobs. Uh, they've been successful personally. They've, they've risen to great national fame and acclaim and, and made tons of money. But <laughs> whether they've been as effective uh, as they should have been, I think, is not even a question. They have not been as effective as they should have been. And, and this is true. This is not a Republican or a democratically-based complaint. This is true of both parties' establishment types. Um, and getting rid of the new blood that Donald Trump brought in and 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 yes that came with a lot of volatility and a lot of people just were are still completely just bent out of shape by him personally and have and, and to to the point that they just don't care what rules or ethics they have to break to denigrate him you know one of the things i wrote during donald trump's entire four year presidency was that no matter how many rules he breaks or 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 unethical things he may may do his opponents keep doing him a favor by going even lower than he po- than he allegedly goes. Um, so the establishment is, so, you know, I guess back in power, not only with Joe Biden, but uh, on Sunday, the House of Representatives voted to reelect Nancy Pelosi as the Speaker of the House. And so there's just no change at the top. This is not a even phony hope and change moment. This is just back to the old establishment. And, and almost a shame on you to everyone in America who wanted new blood who wanted new ideas. If, it, it, and it's amazing because we, if a pollster goes around to the United States at any given time in the last 50 years and in the years to come and just asks a special, a, a, a separate question, leaving out the name of any particular candidate, leaving out the name of any political party. If a pollster goes around the country and asks people, would you like to see new people in the leadership in Washington? New blood. I mean, I, I would guess, and I think it would be, it's a very educated guess, that the answer would be 70% yes. Or better, but here's what we have. We have old blood in the White House and Joe Biden. We have old blood as Speaker of the House in Nancy Pelosi. I don't know what's going to happen in the Senate. On Tuesday, you have your Georgia runoff elections and I'm not very confident that the Republicans will be able to win because uh, I, I think that the voter fraud ballot harvesting issues in Georgia and vote by mail issues have not been resolved by the, by a long shot. And I also think that there's definitely going to be some Republican enthusiasm issues unless uh, that changes overnight. I don't think that that's going to really help that much. So I don't know who will be the Senate majority leader, but I can promise you it's not going to be a freshman senator. It'll be Chuck Schumer most likely if the Democrats get control of the Senate. And that's another person who's been in the Senate for 22 years, by the way. And he's also been in Congress, I guess, for another 20 years, something like that. before. So this is another career politician. Old blood across the board, and we can't expect any real change and re- real change for the better when the old blood is in control. That's just the way it goes. And it's a real problem because you have to have new blood coming in. Now, I know there are some people who will point to some of the younger members of Congress, the Alexandria Ocasio Cortez types, the Rashida Tlaib types, and say, Well, that's new blood that's getting into the Democratic Party. Are you happy with that, Jake? They're, they're anti-Israel, they're anti-Semitic, they're socialists, the whole thing. And I would say, well, they're technically new blood because they're, you know, in their first or second terms as members of Congress, but they're not new blood in the leadership. They don't have leadership positions. They might get a lot of media attention, but they're not the House minority le- majority or minority leaders. They're not committee chair people. They're certainly not speakers of the House. That's not the leadership. And if they were in the leadership, I would say, yeah, there's an example of how sometimes new blood isn't, you know, there's that 30%, 40% not good result of new blood that I would point to. But like I say, I think most of the time in an established organization, whether it's doing well or not, or whether it needs, whether people realize it needs, needs change or not, I would say most of the time with, it, with the explanation that there'll be plenty of times when it doesn't work out, but I think most of the time it adds a positive Aspect of things. Now, when things are really not working out, when things are really, really failing, new blood is a more obvious and a, more, a, a, a higher percentage answer for a better, higher, higher, higher percentage chance for success. Now, I learned this through stories that my uncle used to tell me. Many of you may remember a, an edition of Novak Now I did over the summer in tribute to my uncle who had passed away, Alan Meyer, who had an amazing life and an amazing career. And one of, those, one of the highlights of his career is that he was the Japanese to English interpreter for General Douglas MacArthur at the end of World War II and then for the beginning of his military governorship of Japan. And General MacArthur knew that as they were setting up this first new democratic government of Japan, that they were going to need new blood in the power establishment, in the power uh, structure of Japan. He knew that he couldn't just get the old families who had been the imperialist supporters and who had made, and somehow survived the war and maybe suddenly were renouncing the emperor, emperor and were saying, OK, we're ready to go for democracy now. He was happy to have them. He knew that he needed establishment and especially wealthy families to be supportive of a democratic government. He couldn't do it without them. But he knew he couldn't just go to the same old groups, that they would just use that supposedly democratic government to impose the same old policies and the same old cultural uh, rules and nothing would really change for Japan. He knew that. He didn't know about a lot of other, many many other groups that were around that were that could really shake things up. But he knew about something else. He knew about gender, and he knew that in Japan, women did not have very too many high positions of power anywhere. the The, the, the rights for women in Japan at that time were much, much worse than they were for America at that time and for other Western countries. And he knew that he had to get them involved. That would be the way to get new blood into the establishment that he was still bringing into that democratic government in Japan. You know, it had a brand new name, brand new title. No, the emperor wasn't in power anymore in a real way and all that kind of stuff. But he knew that if he just brought the same power groups into a new government, even with all the new labels and bells and whistles, there wouldn't be change. So he knew he had to bring women into the game. And how was he going to do that? So he insisted as governor of Japan at the time, military governor, that they could not have a democratic government unless they gave women the right to vote. Women did not have the right to vote in Japan, even in whatever kind of dummy elections they were putting up during the imperialist um, uh, government there. And those establishment types, those establishment families who said they wanted democracy and wanted to be part of the new government resisted the general. I mean, they resisted MacArthur big time on that. And MacArthur stood his ground and said, no, unless you give women the right to vote and the right to run for office, uh, I'm staying as your military governor until you do. <laughs> so if you want independence and you want to rule yourselves, and, you want, and you, you know, then you better go along with this. And so, of course, they had to. And even today, I would say that women's rights in Japan are still not as strong as they are in the United States and some other Western countries, but certainly they've come a long way. Now, they've never had a female prime minister and there's a lot of issues with that. And I get that, but MacArthur was able to shake up a lot of the old establishment by bringing in that new blood, even though a lot of that new blood was just the wives, daughters and sisters of the, of the old establishment guys. But it it changed literally the face and the look of those who were voting and those who were in the government of that country. And it did tremendous positive things for the country. I mean, it, it, it played a major role in Japan's, very, very quick return to economic strength in those years following the war. And that is one of those one of those stories that my uncle told me and I learned as a young man or a young boy, and it, it really stayed with me. Organizations that remain the same, that have the same leadership, end up and this is true of organizations that even do change their leadership once in a while, but but it certainly happens for those who don't change their leadership. They end up being about preserving the organization and less about what they're all about. In other words, you could have an organization that says it's for helping Jews all over the world succeed. But if it lasts for 20, 30 years, 40, 50 years, eventually, even before that time, the organization's real goal will be to Promote the organization. Not only from a financial standpoint, so that the directors can make money and things like that. For those of you who don't know, nonprofit or not for profit organizations does not mean people don't make money. It means there aren't any shareholders or investors. But you can have a not for profit or a nonprofit organization that has five or six members uh, of an executive team who make massive money because they they sometimes can funnel all the profits into their salaries. Now, this is not true of every not-for-profit, non-profit organization. Most of them are really great. It's not a question. I'm not talking about some kind of overall scam. But there are a number of organizations that I know that are like this that don't really do all that much good other than enrich the people who run the organization. And even if it isn't about money, a lot of times they do what I would call circle the wagons. Let's keep our organization strong. Let's keep our name really well known. Let's do all of that right now. And that becomes more of a goal than what their, sta- their supposed mission statement is. This is why it's important for organizations to have mission statements so that everyone can look at it every once in a while and ask, wait a minute, if our mission statement is to, for example, let's go back to the 60s and 70s, if our mission statement is to help free Soviet Jewry and, allow, and get Soviet Jews to be able to come to America or come to Israel as they please... Then is everything that we're doing, every penny that we're spending, every event that we're doing, is that really geared towards that or is it geared towards us being the biggest Jewish organization out there? One of the reasons why the Soviet Jewry movement in this country was so successful, in my opinion, is that for the most part, it remained a grassroots organization. It started as a grassroots organization. It was high school seniors from Yeshiva Flatbush and Ramaz and young Jewish college students at some of the city colleges who really kicked off the Soviet Jewry movement in the late 60s, early 70s in this country. Many of you may not know that. So they weren't interested in organizational names. They weren't interested in in becoming career uh, leaders of Jewish organizations. They really just wanted to help Soviet Jewry. It's one of the reasons why they were so successful that by 1975, they had won a very huge victory by getting uh, the Soviet Union to sign on to a, a bunch of, a bunch of accords that basically put them at least promising and we I mean, you know they welched on the promise many times, but there were eventually but there were times when they didn 't welch on the promise, basically getting them to agree that if they wanted to be a part of the community of nations, they were going to have to provide more human rights and more freedom of movement for Soviet Jews. So in the late 70s, like 1979, they opened the gate for a while, then they closed it again. Like I said, they welched on that promise a number of times. But there were times when they did fulfill it. Now, meanwhile, while these young students were so effective with the Soviet Jewry movement, you had organizations, and I'm not going to name them because I don't want to be a jerk, okay? Uh, but you had old establishment Jewish organizations with acronyms that we all know that still exist that were not as effective, that didn't get on the ball that really weren't even that really didn't didn't have a serious Soviet Jewry situation going on on their radar and this was true of these same organizations or the precursors to these organizations during World War II you had Jewish organizations in this country old established powerful Jewish organizations in this country or as powerful as Jewish organizations could have been during the time of World War II who were more interested in getting Jews moved to collective stalinist farms in the Soviet Union than getting them out of Europe And out of the, and out of the way of, of the war. And eventually the Holocaust. Why? Because they wanted to keep their relationship with the government of the Soviet Union and the government of the United States. They wanted that cozy seat next to the throne of the king. And to them, that was more important, because that's great for an organization. When an organization can pal around with the old blood establishment of whatever government or you know, you're know you talking about, that feels great for those guys who are running those organizations. I gotta tell you, it feels great whether or not they're fulfilling a mission statement of helping people, in this case, making saving Jews, not as important. It doesn't really work for them. And it's not because these are evil people. It's just that they lose sight of what they're supposed to be doing. And that is why organizations need new blood sometimes. Now, a lot of you might be seeing where I'm going with this when I talk about what's going on in the state of Israel. Now, Israel is, in some ways, a little bit of a special case here. Does Israel need new blood in its leadership? Absolutely. Absolutely. But there are so many people vying for that position that you're seeing a lot of what I would say the negative percentage, that, that, that percentage of examples where new blood doesn't work out. General Benny Gantz, and I thank him for his service, especially in the IDF, was an example of, of new blood that didn't work out. Why? He didn't really have any ideas. If Benny Gantz had come in with some new ideas, along with the fact that he wasn't a career politician, I think he would have been a lot more successful. But really his only mission as a politician, which appears to have ended now because the blue and white party that he led has basically disintegrated. But it appears that his entire career was based on him not being Benjamin Netanyahu. Now, he was honest with that, I think, uh, at least in in most of the way he sort of presented himself. But that's all he was. He was just not Bibi. And New Blood is great, but if the New Blood has no ideas other than I'm physically a different person than the other person sitting in that chair, then the chances of you becoming that new blood that really helps things improve and makes things better are, you know, fall down to the floor. And that's the Benny Gantz story. There's a lot of other names I could mention in Israel that are similar. I think Israel absolutely needs new blood in its leadership, not because Netanyahu isn't the best leader for right now. I think he still is. Although, as you've heard me say on previous editions of Novak Now here on the Nachum Siegel Network it's many years past the time that Netanyahu should have been grooming a successor and stay and feeling secure enough in himself to keep that successor around. He's groomed successors in the past and then things always turn sour. Israel needs new blood in its leadership, but they need it to be, I think at least for the next couple of years in concert with Netanyahu. In other words, new blood mixed with the old with the, and, and, and find some way to have some kind of transition. But right now, no one seems to be willing to have that kind of an agreement right now, and that is why Israel is in such a logjam situation. Deep in their hearts, I think 80%, maybe more than that, Israelis know that the policies of Netanyahu over his last 11 years, almost 12 years as prime minister, 12 straight years, remember he was prime minister for three years in the, in the mid-90s, mid to late 90s. But this 12-year run that he's had as prime minister, I think that 80% of Israelis, whether they will say so publicly or even understand it consciously, will know that these policies and this premiership has been wildly successful for Israel on almost every level. There have been failures, and we can talk about that. And as Jews, you know, that's our thing. We like to focus on a lot of negative stuff, and I get it. But to me, there's no doubt that this 12-year run for him has been Incredibly successful, and Israel is in a much better place than they were 12 years ago, and they continue to be on a good trajectory, COVID or no COVID. But at the same time, Netanyahu personally has ruffled a lot of of feathers. He's done some things ethically that are not so great. I don't think he's committed any crimes. I know that there's a lot of Israelis who like to call him a criminal now, but I don't think he's committed any crimes. And by that, I mean like crimes versus misdemeanors, I mean like felonies. I don't think he's done that. But there needs to be new blood in the Israeli government. They need a real opposition party with real ideas. And by real ideas, I mean also viable ideas. It can't just be like an opposition party that says, yeah, let's uh, give up more land. Let's uh, give ourselves a weaker military. Let's do-. That's not what I'm talking about with Nua, because that's actually an old idea. But literally, a different and new idea opposition, I'd like to hear what they have to say, because right now, the only thing we're hearing from the opposition is we're not Netanyahu, personally. And that's not new blood. That's not an example of new blood. That's just nothing. That's nothingness. Israel, I would like to see have some new leadership. Along, at least for the next two years, if it, were, if it were up to me, Netanyahu would be forced into some kind of coalition with center right parties and center right leaders who are new, who have new ideas. Maybe Naftali Bennett is one of those guys. It's possible. I don't know how many really quote-unquote new ideas he has separate from Netanyahu. I don't really think he does that are really serious. But okay, I mean, somebody has to come in who has something other to say other than I'm not Benjamin Netanyahu. Until then, there's no viable choice other than Netanyahu for prime minister. But we've got to get that process going. Now, Benny Gantz got the last year or so of at least sort of being close to the the highest position of power and learning something from it. Maybe he'll come around in a year or so with some real ideas to go along with his experience. We'll see. But you have to have new blood in an organization. It's very, very important. And I think this is true of yeshivas and synagogues as well. Obviously, we're not looking for someone to say, hey, here's a bunch of new Jewish laws. uh, We're throwing out the old (laughs) ones. I'm not talking about that with new ideas. I'm talking about new ideas of how to reach people. If we're talking about a yeshiva, new ideas about how to teach Torah, we're talking about a shul, new ideas about how to get people to be more involved in understanding what it is to be in shul and to be part of it and have programming, all these kinds of things which I think are not radical ideas to most of you listening. You understand that we're not talking about bringing in people with new the- theological ideas, but maybe new ways of talking about it, new ways of teaching it. That's, it's, it's just important to do, otherwise it becomes about... Protecting the organization, protecting the name of the synagogue or the, or the yeshiva, getting, you know, and a lot of times money is involved and not necessarily making the product or the organization better. And that always has to be that primary goal. Now getting back to the United States, we have an interesting conflation, you know, we, we, that's kind of a fancy word for mixing things up. We have an interesting conflation when it comes to the positives of new blood with something else that is a big word in the United States, and that's diversity. Now, you have a lot of organizations that push for racial, for the most part, pretty much racial, gender, and sometimes it's geographical diversity, although it's usually just about racial diversity. They want to have in their organization, in their college, um more people who aren't just white, more people. And if, and that's usually what it is. If it's a minority run organization or a dominant minority run, uh, a po- populated or then this, you don't have a lot of, you don't have a big push to bring in more white faces. So it's diverse. So diversity is even diversity is a loaded term. Even diversity is not a really good word to use because if you have a, a school that's predominantly African-American, if you have a business, especially that's predominantly African American, I've never heard of anyone saying, Hey, we got to get more white people, <laughs> you know, it, 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 out loud and in public and, and, make, and becoming a popular push. So it's more about bringing in more non white faces and non white people into schools, into businesses, um, and all that. And a lot of people are conflating the positives of what New Blood is all about with just diversity. So what I mean by that is, again, to get back to the difference between new blood that just for the sake of it being a different body and new blood with a new idea. Now, I believe that if you bring in a new body, a new type of person, whether it's a woman in a male-dominated place or a man in what was once a female-dominated place and black and white issues and all that kind of stuff, I th- like I said in the beginning of this edition of Novak Now, I think most of the time you'll have a positive outcome. But if you're working like they do at universities to bring in people who just look different but then, but then force them to learn and hope to get them to think and do just like all the people before them, and if an organization is just choosing people who they feel are already the most educationally trained and will just to continue to promote whatever the business has already been doing and nothing new, and they just want different faces and they want a look that's different, then that's not new blood. That's just window dressing. That's not what we're looking for. Folks, we have to get new blood, but it has to come with new ideas. And then I think when that happens, you have a chance for real positive change. I'm Jake Novak. This is Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. I hope to speak to you again next week.